0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, South Valley. How you guys doing today? Uh, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. How you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good, good. You guys, most of you have the day, or at least your kids have the day off tomorrow, so you got to get a little energy going into this Sunday. Uh, Great to see you guys. My name is Ricky Hemme. If you are new with us today, you're coming at a really exciting time because today we are launching a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments titled Thou Shalt Love, And I'm super excited for this series. Uh, for, for some of you, when you hear that, you might be thinking on the surface, hey, that sounds like a very simple series, maybe even a little bit, you know, elementary, but I think you're going to s- discover through this series that the Ten Commandments are incredibly relevant today. At one time, these words were foundational words in our society. They're possibly some of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. They even hung on our school walls. You guys remember some of that, right? That used, be, that used to be a thing back in the day. But now you would actually be hard-pressed to find somebody who could recite the Ten Commandments for you. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore each commandment and how they apply in the 21st century. That's what we're going to be doing through this series. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus 20, verse 1. As you're turning there, I just want to preface with this. I know as we launch this series today, that sometimes the word commandment has a, a, a negative connotation to it. We, no one likes to hear about Commandments. Well, I find it interesting that Jews don't actually call them the Ten Commandments. Jews call them the Ten Words. And uh, they get it because of the way that the Ten Commandments are introduced in Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. It says, God spoke all these words. Not all these commandments, but all these words, saying. And so the Ten Words are special divine utterances from God himself, and they are all about one thing. Thing, and it's this love. Every commandment is about love, our love for God, our love for others. And so that's what we're essentially going to be exploring throughout this series. I hope you guys are awake this morning because I know I'm excited to jump into this and I want you guys to be excited with me. You guys awake this morning? OK, awesome. I like to hear that. Now, let's pray and let's jump into this thing. We pray with me, Father God. I just want to say thank you for an awesome morning of worship. I want to thank you for the worship team and just the, the way that they pour themselves out for you. And uh, Lord, I pray right now that you would focus our hearts, focus our attention on your word, that we'd have the, the presence of your spirit to soften us and to teach us. Uh, I think of the amazing things that are happening in Asbury and, and uh, a, a genuine revival. And, and God, I know that that comes from people who are hungry for, me, for you. It's not about pastors, it's not about you know, ministry leaders, it's about regular everyday people who are tired of just being on the sidelines, tired of just coasting through life, tired of seeing uh, the world torn apart through crazy things and, they, and they're hungry for you and so they seek after you. And that is what we need here at South Valley. We need to be a people who seek after you who are hungry for you, who who want more of you, who don't want to stop singing your praises and lifting up your name and telling the world of your goodness. God, as we talk about the 10 commandments, we're gonna be reminded of just how good you really are. And so fill us with that hunger. I can't create a hunger for others. Only you can create that hunger within us. And I pray that you would be doing that through this series and through the worship night that we have coming up around the corner. We love you and praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. As we launch into this series, I thought there were ten things, or four things rather, not ten, four things that I thought felt would be important before diving into the Ten Commandments. So let me just bring you up to speed here. Number one is the Ten Commandments are first listed in the book Exodus, okay? So Exodus, if you don't know, is the second book in the Bible. Um, It's uh, often referred to as a section of Scripture called the Torah, which is the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. The word Exodus means a going out. And that's what the book is about. Exodus is about God bringing his people out of slavery. In Egypt. And if you've read the book of Exodus, you know that it's broken down into two sections. The first half is God delivering his people from bondage, the second half is God establishing his covenant, his law, his system of worship. So that's the book of Exodus. The second thing you need to know, though, is that the Ten Commandments were delivered to Moses on a mountain called Mount Sinai. This is an important moment in the Bible. This is an important mountain in the Bible, and Moses is a very important figure in the Bible. Moses, as most of you know, if you're acquainted with his story, he was a Jewish boy who grew up in Pharaoh's household. The first 40 years of his life, he lived in Egypt where he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. The next 40 years of his life, he lived in Midian as a fugitive from the wrath of Pharaoh after killing an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew. He discovered he was a Hebrew and he was angry and he killed an Egyptian and he had to flee. The last 40 years of his life, though, were devoted to leading the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt to the land God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. And, and what you need to know about Moses is he is widely recognized as one of the greatest figures in all of human history. Okay, Not just in the Bible, but in all of human history because this was a man who by God's hand and by God's instruction took a group of slaves, molded them into a nation, and he influenced and altered the entire course of human history in the process. That's Moses. The third thing you need to know though is the 10 commandments were established after God saved the Israelites. Okay, not before, but after. This is crucial to understand throughout this series. Because what this means is that Israel's obligation to keep the law was not to form a relationship with God. God wasn't saying, do this and then I'll love you. Then I'll save you. God already saved them, right? They were already saved. Saved, they were already redeemed. God already demonstrated his love for them by protecting them, by sending the plagues upon Egypt, by protecting the firstborn through the blood of the Lamb, by opening the Red Sea. God already showed his people that he loved them and he was already saving them. And then afterwards, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments aren't a way to be saved. They're just showed, they're a way of showing gratitude to, for what God has already done. God set you free from bondage. And here now is what it looks like to live as a free person. Follow these rules. This is what it looks like to live in freedom. So what this means is that God's law is built on the foundation of grace. So when you see a command in scripture... You need to know every time you see a command, it's not because God wants to constrain you or take the fun out of your life or make you do things you don't want to do. He is actually pointing you to the, the, the road of most freedom, most joy, most fulfillment. He is not trying to constrain you. He is trying to set you free. And that's the, command, that's the pattern in the New Testament. If you read Paul's letters, for example, he often spends the first half of his book describing who you are in Christ, if you in fact belong to Jesus. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been made new. You are loved. You are saved. Your your status is already secure. You are all these amazing things. Now in light of that, live this way. So so you're not living a certain way to be loved. You're already loved and you want to Out of gratitude for that love, you live a different way. This this radical, amazing grace is very different from every other religion on the planet. Because every other religion on the planet says, be good, and maybe, just maybe, you will get to God. Practice enough penance, reach a certain level of enlightenment, visit enough holy places, do enough good things, and maybe, just maybe, you will get to God. The problem is this. This is a very broken system because I don't know when the last time was that you just tried to be good all the time from morning to evening, all week long, 24 hours a day. How did that go for you? (laughs) Yeah, you're like, help me, Jesus. I can't do it. I got two little kids. It's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to bite my tongue. I, I, that guy that cut me off on the freeway, I'm sorry, I told him he was number one. Um, I was tried, I tried in that moment not to do it, but I couldn't help myself. Okay, we struggle to be good. What's cool about the gospel is that Jesus makes us good. Okay, so the other religions say, you know, be good and maybe you'll get God. Jesus says, get God, focus on that first, get a relationship with him first through me and then you will be good. You will have my amazing grace. Your sins will be covered. You will have my righteousness you will be declared just, you will be good. God makes you good. It's his grace alone that saves and it's his grace alone that sanctifies. And that's exactly what was happening here in this passage. Okay, The message was, as a people freed from bondage, I invite you now to live in that true freedom by trusting and obeying me. That's the context of the 10 commandments. Finally, number four, the 10 commandments are a summary of the law. So, think about this. Okay, so the Ten Commandments are given. There's five books in the Torah, the law. If you were to read all five books, you would learn that there are actually, in fact, 613 laws in the Torah. Okay, 613. Those 613, though, can be summarized by 10, the Ten Commandments. And the first four of the Ten Commandments focus on our relationship with the Lord. So, it's vertical. All right? The, the last six, remaining six, focus on our relationship with others. It's horizontal. And so it's about loving God and, and, and serving God and putting him first and, and putting others before yourself. That's, and so Jesus came in later and he said, you know, there's, you know, the 10 is a summary of the 613, but there's a way to summarize it even further into two commands, into two laws. This is what Jesus says. I'm gonna use the KJV because he uses uh, our language for the, the series. Jesus said unto them, thou Shout love. You're wondering what the commands are about? That's it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That's, this is the first and great commandment. That's a summary of the first four of the 10 commandments. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So it's a summary. The commandments are all about loving God, loving others. And in this series, because of that, we have called it, Thou Shalt Love. Now that we have some context, let's go ahead and read now commandment number one. This is what it says. And God spoke all these words, right? The 10 words saying, I am the Lord your God, Yahweh. I, when you see capital Lord in your Bible, It's Yahweh, it's his proper name. I'm the Lord, your God, Elohim, meaning uh, there's one God, his name is Yahweh. I am him who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here's commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. So commandment number one is no other gods, no other gods. Now the phrase before me means over against me, in place of me, or besides me. And this command is one of the clearest early statements of monotheism in the Bible. Monotheism, uh, mono means one, theos means God. It's the belief in one God. And this is a big deal because most of the world at the time of the Ten Commandments was polytheistic. They worshiped many gods, but false gods, every false god stands in opposition to the true God. And even the Israelites themselves, they grew up in a society in Egypt that worshiped many gods. They even carried some of those gods with them out of Egypt and tried to bring them into the promised land. And so as God is saving his people and establishing his nation and pulling them out above, you know, everybody else in the planet, he's God of everyone, but he's especially God of this treasured possession of his. He's entering in this moment into a covenant relationship with his people and he's asking for them to be loyal to him. I've saved you. I love you. I have good plans for you. And now, as I'm going to do something new in your life, my, my, my command for you is be loyal. Stay true to me. I've shown you that I love you. So follow me and walk with me. We, we call this a covenant, okay? This is an important word in the Bible, a covenant. And So I thought I'd give you a definition. A covenant is an agreement that brings about a relationship of commitment between two people. God entered into a special relationship with his people. And with this in mind, our relationship with God can be likened to a marriage. There are three days in my life I'll never forget. The days my kids were born and the day my bride walked down the aisle. Carly and I, as many of you guys know, we have been married for just over 11 years now. And even though it was 11 years ago, I still remember our wedding day like it was yesterday. I went into that wedding determined to maintain my composure and not cry a single tear. I was determined. And then I saw the doors open to the church and Carly walked down with her mom and her stepdad on her arm. And in that moment, you know, a bunch of sand ended up in my eyes just for a second. And I'm trying to get it together and I'm trying not to, you know, be a distraction and not to let anybody see me. And then I get it back together. I'm like, all right, I got this. I'll I'll be good the rest of the time. And then I didn't expect this, but the next time the sand came back was when I was reciting my vows, and these are very basic vows. But I was really it was hitting home what I was promising. I was making a promise to my spouse. This is what I said: I, Ricky, take you, Carly, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. I will always love you, honor, and cherish you, and put your needs before my own. I have count the cost, I am with you to the end. As God is my witness, I give you that promise. And it hit me what I was actually doing right there in that moment. When we make a covenant with somebody, we make a promise to them. And our promise should mean something. Should I, can I get an amen? amen? Our promise should mean something. Our word should actually mean something. You are making that promise in the presence of your friends and family. You are making your pro- that promise in the presence of God. And it is a binding promise where your souls are knit together. That's the beauty of marriage. And it's a picture of God's relationship to us. In that moment, when I made that promise to my wife, I was promising her that no other woman would ever come before her. And she was promising me no other man would ever come before me. And in light of that promise, I am a jealous husband. I am jealous for her love. Not in a creepy stalker boyfriend way, okay? Not in a like, I'm following her on, you know, her Facebook and seeing what she's doing or checking her. T- Not like that kind of jealous. Not like that, you know, that weird stuff. I am jealous for her love in that that. She is the most precious, special person in my life. And and we made a promise to make each other the most special, precious people to one another. And and I love that. Well, what I want you to see here today, God is jealous for your love. If you're a believer, you have entered into a covenant with God. Jesus, the last night of his life, around the dinner table with his friends, he says in Matthew 26, he says, this is my blood of the new what? New covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You are in a covenant with God. And what was happening in the Old Testament is prior to receiving the Ten Commandments, God actually entered into a special covenant relationship with his people. And there's a word that's often used with covenants, this Hebrew word is is, uh, chesed. And it sounds like you got junk in your throat. That's how you say it. And uh, it's a word that describes a never ending, never giving up, never quitting, faithful, eternal, unbreaking love. That is the kind of love God has for you. And that's the kind of love that God calls us to have for our spouse. A never ending, never breaking, never giving up kind of love. God has that for you. Do you have that for him? Look at the covenant here in Exodus 19, the Mosaic covenant, we call it, right before the 10 commandments. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I've already saved you. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. I'm God of everybody, but you are special unto me because I'm entering into a special relationship with you. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You'll represent me to the world. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. That's like what we do when we say vows. I do, do you promise to dot, 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 I do. This is what they're doing exactly here. If you're a Christian, you've entered into a special Covenant with Christ. Jesus calls the church his bride. He loves his bride. His number one concern on the planet is not what the other nations are doing. It's not what companies are doing. It's not what sports teams are doing. It's not what schools are doing. His number one concern when he looks on the planet is what is his bride up to? You are his number one concern. We are his number one concern. The body of Christ, the the, the church is the bride of Christ. Christ. And here's the problem that we see with commandment number one and throughout the rest of the New Testament. The problem is this although God loves his bride, and although God made a way for his bride, and although Jesus has made a way to make her pure and, and glorious and, and to dress in and a white dress and to, to be received by him in glory, the problem is God is amazing to his bride, but the reality is his bride is a bit of a hot mess. His bride's a mess. The problem in the Old Testament, Israel was God's bride. They often cheated on God. They put other things in front of God. They ran from God. They disobeyed God. The problem in the New Testament church today is the church often cheats on Jesus They put other things in front of Jesus. They abandon Jesus' word. They trust in their own way and they go and worship of other things. Commandment number one is all about worship. Who are you putting first? What are you putting first? You're in a covenant with God. Here at South Valley, our number one thing should always be all the time, exalting the name of Jesus Christ. And every time we take him off of the throne, we replace him with another lowercase G. God. So what is a God? A God is whatever is favored or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than capital G, God, Yahweh. So if you love something more than God, then that's your God. If you favor something more than God, that's your God. If you serve something more than God, that has become your God. If you fear it more than God, you want to please it more than God, you trust it more than God, you rely on it more than God, whatever you lean on more than God has become your functional God, your functional Savior. This means that we have lots of gods. And our gods are not always bad things. Sometimes our gods are good things in our life, like our kids or our work. But we make them gods. Because they take place of Yahweh. They take place of Jesus. And we exalt it to an unholy, unbiblical spot. And here's the problem with every single God. Every God over promises and underdelivers. You will never be satisfied with a false God. God cares about you so much that he calls on you to worship him alone. Martin Luther says it this way. To have a God is to have something in which the heart entirely trusts. What are you trusting today? When some people read this commandment, they feel it's irrelevant. (laughs) They feel sometimes when you hear commandment number one, we don't even talk about this stuff. This is irrelevant because in their minds, Americans don't worship false gods because most Americans don't live with gods in their bedroom. And, And if you do have gods in your bedroom, the application is very simple today. Get rid of those weird things in your bedroom. But if you're like a normal American, reality is you don't have a bunch of false gods hanging up in your bedroom, but false worship, it's not just about old gods and old idols, like the ones you find in the Old Testament. It's also about new gods and new idols. You see, false worship is not just a back then problem, back in the olden days problem, It's a problem still today. All we've done as a society is trade old gods for new gods. And so the gods of the Old Testament, like Moloch and Bel and Chemosh and Marduk, they just have new names. If you know anything about Old Testament false gods, they promised status, they promised wealth, they promoted sexual freedom and sensual lusts of the flesh. Well the new gods do exactly the same thing. When I think about our culture today, I see at least three common gods. We as Americans worship lots of things. We as Americans have exalted many things above Jesus, many things above the God of the Bible. We have put other things on the throne, but for just, you know, brevity's sake, I wanted to share with you what I feel are the top, American gods. And you may agree with this list. You may not agree with this list, but I'm gonna show you what I think are our, you know, false gods of today. We may not be worshiping Moloch and Chemosh and Bel, but we do worship these other three things. And the first on the list is sex. Sex sells in America. Did you know that one in 10 men have paid for sex? Did you know that human trafficking profits roughly $150 billion a year, and that the average age a girl gets trapped is 13? Did you know that the gateway to prostitution is pornography and that the average age of exposure to porn is now 11 years old? All the devices all of the video games, all of the access to the internet, all of the weird links that get sent to our kids as they're playing on their things, the average exposure now is 11 years old and going down younger and younger. Did you know that pornography brings in more revenue each year than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined? The bottom line is selling sex is one of America's most profitable pastimes. There is a sexual addiction problem in America. We have exalted it to the place of God. People do what they want with whoever they want, and they will sacrifice anything to get it. And if we aren't selling sex through porn and through prostitution and through human trafficking and through whatever other creepy things that we do as a society, then we're selling sex often through our music. And if you don't think that our society has a worship problem or you don't think that our society worships sexual promiscuity, then I just have to ask you, what is this? Any of you guys see this performance? When I saw this performance, the first thing I saw as Sam Smith was performing on the stage, his song, Unholy, the first thing that came to my mind during this Grammy's performance is this is worship. We think that we're not worshiping anything. We think that, oh my gosh, we are so much better than all our ancestors who worshiped all these weird false gods. We are doing the exact same thing. It just looks different today. And I saw this and I thought, worship, and and you know what's even crazier? I looked on Twitter and you know what CBS tweeted about this performance? CBS says, replying to Sam Smith, uh, you can say that again, we are ready to worship. Now, I want to just be very transparent with you guys, because right now you're like, oh my gosh, we're just like, what kind of church am I stepping into today? (laughs) I am not some like fire and brimstone preacher who has this ax to grind with culture and lo- I'm looking for Satan under every bush. I'm not that guy, okay? I'll watch the Grammys. I'll watch, I'll watch movies. I'll watch TV. I'm not like this guy who's like, oh my gosh, Satan's over there and Satan's over here and Satan's in this. And I'm not that guy. I don't have this ax to grind. But what I am standing in front of you today is I am a daddy of two little kids, And I know that my kids are growing up in a society that is going to push all of these false ideologies upon them and cause them, encourage them to worship a false God of sex. And we have a hundred kids over there every single Sunday that we love and we cherish and we wanna raise up to love the Lord Jesus. We have a hundred kids over in our youth group every Wednesday night that we love and we cherish and we wanna protect and raise them up in the love and admonition of Jesus. And we want them to know that sex makes a terrible God. And we live in a culture that pushes it in every single way possible. And we respond to it because human beings are worshipers. You and I are made to worship. And if we're not worshiping the God of the Bible, then we will worship something or someone else in creation. That something in our culture is often celebrities. And when you worship the rich and the famous, you intend to embrace their message or you tend to embrace the popular message of the day. And clearly the song Unholy is a blatant attack on God and God's good design for sex and marriage and everything that Jesus stands for. And I'm just telling you, I'm just warning you, this is not me every week where I'm bashing culture. I'm just telling you, I see the lies. I see the threats. I see the ways that people want to, Pervert, God, uh, pervert the next generation. And I think there are times where we have to say that is false worship. That's not being just creative. That's not just being, you know, coming up with a cool new way of presenting a song. That is just demonic. Amen. Are you worshiping sex? I talked to a guy a little bit ago who has been living with his girlfriend for a very long time. And he just found out that they're pregnant and I think they're gonna get married. I don't really know. But the reason he is sleeping with his girlfriend, it didn't move out because he worships sex. And now he's trying to figure out, what am I gonna do now? I talked to, well, I'll leave that one aside. This is a common conversation. This is a common conversation in our culture. This is a common conversation in our church. If you worship God, you do sex God's way. It doesn't mean you won't fail or fall. It doesn't mean you won't lust. It doesn't mean you won't, cross the line. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle as a human being. You are a human being. You struggle. And and there's grace for you if you have blown it in the area of sex. There is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You may, the world may, you may think in your mind like, oh my gosh, I'm so unholy and dirty now. But Jesus, if you go to him as a broken person who maybe has struggled in sexual sin, pornography, things in the dark, things done to you, if you struggle with that and you bring that to the Lord, guess Guess what? You are made clean and holy and righteous and pure and you are spotless in the eyes of God. But do you want to stay there or do you want to go back to the false God? That's a message for us. That's a message for our kids. Are we going to worship God or are we going to worship our fleshly desires in the moment? Another false God is another S, and that's status. Sex and status. There are so many ways that we measure status today, right? How many followers do you have? (laughs) What do you do for a living? How many reshares did you get on Twitter? How many reshares did you get on your Facebook post? How many friends do you have in town? How many friends do you have at school? How many people say hi to you on your way into work? What kind of car do you drive? (laughs) <laughs> what kind of shoes do you wear? What kind of bag are you, are you bringing with you? Is it real or is it fake? Because <laughs> I could tell the real ones versus the fake ones. I can't, but others can. If you worship status, you're worshiping this desire, living for this desire. This is another common one. This desire to be cool, this desire to be liked, this desire to be pretty, this desire to be put together, and you live for it, and you focus your life around it, and it becomes a God. And every God is gonna cost you something. You're gonna sacrifice for that God. And and the problem with the God of status is that it will either make you very proud and arrogant, and no one likes proud, arrogant people. You'll be proud and arrogant, and you'll think way too highly of yourself, or you'll be incredibly insecure and think way too highly of everyone's opinion of you. That's the cost of status. You, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you don't need to worry about what others think of you. You need to only be concerned about what God thinks of, of you. And if you belong to Jesus, what I could tell you is that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are a child of God, you are beautiful and precious in his sight. Your status is secure in Christ Jesus. Are you finding your value and your worth and your status with others or your status with God? If you are right with God, that is the only status that matters on the planet here's another one I want my daughter to know I got an eight-year-old daughter And I think she's the most beautiful girl on the planet. I really do. She's just so amazing. And and I know every dad says that about their daughter. And, and, And I just love her. And she is so beautiful and so precious. And I want her to know as she grows up, I love how beautiful you are and how precious you are. But what other people say about how you look doesn't matter that much, Blake. What really matters is what God says about you, what mommy and daddy say about you. Don't worry about what others say. You are loved and you are beautiful inside and out. And God made a precious baby girl, and you are it, Blake Aubrey. That's what every kid needs to grow up hearing instead of being tempted by status. Are you worshiping status? Status will, you, if you're worshiping status, it will always overpromise and under deliver. You'll never truly arrive. There will, be, uh, there will always be someone better or cooler or prettier or smarter. One day you'll be in, the next day you'll be out. One day you'll be the hot stuff. The next day you'll be old news. If you worship status, your life will become a hamster wheel of pleasing people and trying to get ahead. And every false God will require some kind of sacrifice. It might be sacrificing your family or your health, or your integrity, or lots of money, or a relationship, or your church, are you worshiping status? And finally, number three, the last S of the common American gods is stuff. The first time I learned my worship of stuff was when I got my first iPhone 3. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I got an iPhone 3 because iPhones are so much better than Androids. Let's just be honest for a second. Amen. Thank you. Okay. So I get this iPhone 3. And the day I got my iPhone 3, I broke it. The very same day. And I remember breaking it. And I go to bed at night. And I've been waiting for this iPhone. I wanted it. I got it from the Apple Store. It was so awesome. I didn't have a case for it, obviously. And I ruined it. And I I remember laying down in bed at night and, and being angry. I couldn't fall asleep. I was angry because I wasted my money. I was angry because I really wanted this thing. I've been dreaming about getting an iPhone three and I really wanted this thing and I broke it the very first day and it kept me up at night. A thing, an iPhone kept me up at night. Well, later on, I got another iPhone three and you know, it's like, oh my, the world is right again. But you know where that iPhone three is now today? In the dump. Actually, it's been in the dump for decades now probably. But at one time, It kept me up at night. Stuff should never keep us up at night. We are so much better than stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff. Okay. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with phones. There's definitely things wrong with Androids. Don't get those. But there's nothing wrong with cool things. But do cool things own you or do you own them? When you stand before God one day, he's not gonna care about your stuff. You're not gonna stand before God and say, hey, look at my new Nikes, check these out. Or did you see that house that I bought over in Malibu? Or do you see that building that I built? Or do you see that cool car that I drove? Or that you know tractor that I had? Or or that bicycle that I rode? Or you know that iPhone that I had? Or, and that God's not going to care at all about your stuff. No one in heaven is going to care about your stuff. Stuff doesn't matter. You know where stuff ends up? In a dump. That's where stuff goes. But many of us are living our lives for stuff. We worship things. We find our value in things. We find our happiness in phones. We find our happiness in computers, in stuff, in big screens. Stuff will rob you of your joy because stuff cannot satisfy because the cool stuff of today is the lame stuff of tomorrow. If you have an iPhone 3 still today, you got issues, okay? That was lame a long time ago. Don't worship Stuff, you're better than stuff. Are you worshiping stuff? When I see our culture, these are not all the gods we have, but there are things we put before Jesus. We put sex before Jesus. We put status before Jesus. We put money and stuff before Jesus. And so in conclusion today, here's how we apply today's message, things I want you to think about before you leave. Number one is this, there is one God and you are not him. Can I get an amen for that one? Doesn't it feel good to know that you are not God? Doesn't it feel good to know you are not on the throne? You were not made to be worshipped. You were made to bow down at the throne, not sit upon it. The world is not on your shoulders. It is already in God's hands. You don't need all the eyes on you. You don't need the worship. You weren't made for the worship. You were made to humbly come before the God who made you and love you and, and, and put your all on him. You are a worshiper. Worship him. Take yourself off the throne. If you have made yourself your own God and your own opinions, your own God and your own way, your own God. I encourage you today, humble yourself before the one true God. His name is Yahweh, Yahweh, your Elohim. Humble yourself and receive his amazing grace. Second application, there is one God and they are not him. I don't know who they are in your life, But today is the day to stop worshiping their opinion of you. Let it go. You don't need their approval. You're accepted in Christ. You don't need their attention. God sees you and loves you. You don't need them and their, whatever you're hoping for from them, start living for Him. You don't need to live for everybody else. There is a tendency in culture to be so people-pleasing that we are so insecure and we are never satisfied. You are free today to stop living for the world, stop living for what's cool, and stop living for everybody else's approval, and stop living for everyone else's applause, and to live for an audience of one. You are free today to do that. And what God says about you is the most important thing about you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. You have His approval if you are are in fact in Jesus Christ and finally number three worship God by putting him first put him first in your marriage put him first in your dating relationship put him first when it comes to what you do when no one's looking put him first in how you raise your kids put him first in how you use your finances put him first in how you treat people at work put him first in how you respond when people catch you off guard when they catch you off on the road when they whatever they do when you see things coming at you that you never thought would come at you put him first first in everything. And we are trying as a church to to build a community that puts God first in everything. And so one thing that we have coming up right around the corner is we have this worship night. You heard about it already. Spirit and truth. A night of worship. My encouragement to you is to be there next Sunday night and to come hungry. Just like those who are seeing revival in Asbury, they're hungry for more of God. They're hungry to put Him first in everything. That comes not from pastors. That comes from the people. The congregation coming and hearing and hungering for God. And so we invite you to be there. There's limited space. Sign up while you can. There's there's childcare through kindergarten. We want as many people there as possible. Be there. Worship with us. Let's be hungry for more of Him in our life. Let's put God first. There is one God. His name is Yahweh, and He is worthy of all of our worship. Can I get an amen? Father God, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for the challenge of this commandment. I know this was a hard truth for us. I know that we struggle with false gods. Remove the gods in our lives, smash those idols, take the place on the throne of our lives. Help us to worship you and you alone. We love and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.